Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. My name is Jonathan Morgan. I work sometimes at, uh, <laughs> I'm retired, but I work sometimes at uh, the Jungatique. Great place if you are retired or if you have some free time and you want to come work with us down there. Uh, all the proceeds go to missions, and I think last year we had over $150,000 or more go to missions. That's a wonderful way to give, and uh, most of us are volunteers down there. And I uh, participate also as the, one of the greeters here and enjoy doing that because I enjoy meeting people and uh, just making people smile. And, and, and then the, I get to preach today and the wonderful truths of God's Word, what a blessing that is. So I feel very honored today, and uh, we had a great topic. We're looking at Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. But there's a lot of confusion about Jesus. Depending on who you ask, you'll find all kinds of answers. And sometimes, even when we love someone, we have a hard time communicating what we think um, we'd like to put into words, but can't seem to do it. I'm told about a uh, couple that had been married for 15 years, and they got to the place where all they did was fight. So they went to the counselor, and the counselor sat down with them, and uh, they began talking, and the woman's then she launched into a tirade, and she went on and on and on about things were going on. And finally, he stood up and said, that's enough. I know what your problem is. And he walked over to the lady, picked her up by both of his shoulders, and he gave her a passionate kiss and set her back down. Then he went over to the stunned husband who was looking at him like, what in the world? And he said, now that's what your wife needs at least three times a week. And he said, well, I guess I could bring her in on Monday, Wednesday, but Friday's my golf day. <laughs> One reporter asked a believer about his uh, religious beliefs, and he said, well, I believe in what the church believes in. And the reporter said, oh, yeah, well, what does your church believe? And he said, well, um, they believe what I believe. <laughs> and uh, the reporter said, okay, well, what do you and your church believe? And he goes, well, we believe the same thing. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't know what he believed. Here's an alarming and staggering statistic. 90% of those who end up in cults start out in mainline churches. That's really disconcerting. People don't know what they believe. And so they're sucked into whatever. Two weeks ago, we started the Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest Christian creeds in the Bible today. I'm in the church today. It's a series of statements to summarize some essential truths about the Bible. The creed essentially, um, well, it certainly doesn't take the place of the Bible, but it, it, it aids us in focusing on some great biblical truths. It was written to, co to combat and to correct errors in the church that were circulating, again, coming into the church, and it was also formed to give clarity to the Word of God. Now, as we examine this statement, it leads us to reject cultural influences and popular narratives of the day. 
And as we live out this creed in our lives, we reject the world's value system, including materialism and progressive thought and transgender and woke theology, and and we embrace the true meaning of what Jesus meant for our life. Nathan Parrish launches into the Apostles' Creed with I believe in. You remember that? And he said, they really valued my input today, so they gave me three words. You remember that? (laughs) All of us got a good chuckle out of that. But he did a great job of distinguishing between I believe and I know. Now, to know something, you can know things two ways. You know something intellectually, you know some facts about something. Or the other is you know something intimately, either someone or something. And to come to the place where I believe in because I know someone intimately. Oh, big difference. And I confess that with my mouth. And I put into action behind uh, those thoughts and those words that I know and that I'm intimate with. You know, I know some facts about Babe Ruth, not many, but I know this. Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs, but he struck out over 1,300 times. I think he coined the phrase, don't let the fear of striking out stop you from swinging the bat. 1,300 times he struck out and walked back to the dugout, but he didn't quit. Now, I know facts about him, but I certainly don't know him intimately or personally. Then last week, we looked at God the Father is almighty. He's the creator of the universe. He's intensely personal, and nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing. Wonderful truths. Thank you uh, uh, to Nate and to Vance for their input, and we enjoyed it a great deal. Today, we're looking at a topic uh, about Jesus Christ, God's only Son, and our Lord. Now, there are books written on Jesus Christ, lots of them, and information uh, from all kinds of research that you can get, and uh, we're going to get a snippet today of some things about Jesus Christ. And I looked through some books and I listened to some information by Matt Chandler and John MacArthur and Chuck Swindle and Charles Stanley and and just read some things this week. And wow, literally, we don't have time for all that I would like to share with you this morning. But the three titles, The Christ, God's Only Son, and Our Lord. Now here's the text coming from Matthew the 16th chapter, verses 13 through 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? question that all of us need to answer. And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Christ, the Son of God, Son of the living God. Now, we're going to take a real close look at verse 16 today. Who do you say, uh, who do men say that I am? And then, of course, Simon Peter gives this famous answer uh, about you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, what Jesus wanted to know was, what's the common man say about me? What's the word on the streets? Who do people think I really am? And of course, they gave him some answers, and most of them were prophets, and the only problem with all those prophets is they were all dead. And so, in reality, they thought, 
Jesus was some kind of reincarnation of some great prophet before them. Now, as we look at this, it says, you are the Christ. There's a pesky little article, definite article. (laughs) You're not a Christ. You're not one of the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's important. Now, interestingly enough, in this conversation with his disciples, it's taking place outside of a place called Philippi. Augustus Caesar renamed Philippi after himself to Caesarea Philippi, and later Herod built a magnificent temple there in honor of him. Now, Rome was ruthless. They had a ruthless regime. It was so dominant at the time that they ruled the world with brutality, all the way from England to India. So Caesarea Philippi became a statement to the world, if you will, as Matt Chandler says, a crowning jewel of Roman grandeur. Roman kings came to think of themselves not only as kings, but many of them felt themselves as gods. It's interesting how far the evil mind will take us, isn't it? You ever been um, alone and your mind just starts traveling down the wrong direction? And if you don't stop yourself, your mind will take you places you don't want to go. And you'll have to say, oh, God, help me to get out of that. And you'll have to take action to get away from those things because the devil will lead you down all kind of dark, sinister sinister paths, even if it's in dreams. But Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. Now, we know that when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, which was the dominant language of the first century, the word Christ is curious. It means king or attributed to kings and done so almost 30 times in the Old Testament. Kings, if you know, that were anointed uh, by the prophets. The king came and he anointed the king. A prophet came, anointed the king, and it's signifying that the spirit of God rests upon that person for a duty that he had to perform. So the kings were anointed by a prophet. They were anointed ones. Well, Jesus was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. And Peter wants us to know that he means it, that Jesus was king. And in doing so, in the shadow of this Roman splendor outside of, uh, of Caesarea Philippi, Peter is making this bold, brash statement and declaring that despite the fact that Rome controls the known world, that Jesus is king over all human power. In fact, Jesus is so impressed with his, his um, response if you have your Bibles there in verse 17, it says, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, he revealed it to you. But Peter made those, that great statement. Now, even before, long before Caesar renamed the city, this city was called Panthius, where there was a temple built to Pan. Now, we get our word pantheism, which means many gods or gods in everything. And at this place called uh, Panius, where this temple was built, there was also a magnificent temple built to Baal. 
So in the context, Peter's saying that Jesus is a king over all of God, over all the gods, over all the rulers, no matter what they may be, who, no matter what country they may come from, that Jesus is king. You can see why Jesus was excited about Peter's answer. He's impressed. Secondly, I want us to see as we look at this, is God's son. Peter says, the son of the living God. Jesus is a class by himself when he comes to the Father. In the Old Testament, prophets were called, many times they were called sons of God. But Jesus is called the Son of God. There's that pesky little definite article again. Not a, not one of them, but the Son of God. He's the only Son of the Father. He's co-eternal, co-equal with the Father. He's absolute authority. He can calm the storms. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. He heals the sick and, sick, and on and on you can go. He's Lord. He's the Master. Jesus is before all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, but without him nothing came into being that was made. He's co-eternal. He's co-equal. He's distinct from all others. We're going to look at how that's true. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 3, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has he spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and he was, has inherited a more equal, excellent name than they. Now, here we can see that he's plainly not just a great teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's so much more. He's better than the angels. In fact, he created the angels, and he is the exact representation of the Father. He and the Father are one. That's what he's saying. In John 8, 56 and 50, uh, through 59, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. <clears throat> and the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am. And the Bible says they picked up stones to stone him. Why? You remember the occasion in the Old Testament when Moses was going to go to see Pharaoh? And he was really <laughs> moved with trepidation. and He was fearful. And, and he says, I'm going to go into the Pharaoh. Who am I going to say when he asks me, who, by whose authority do you come in here? He said, well, you know what he told him? Tell him, I am sent you. When Jesus used the word before Abraham was, I am, they knew what he was saying. He was equating himself to be God. And they picked up stones to kill him. They knew. Listen to what it also says in Colossians 2.9. For in him the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. He, the fullness of the deity rested in Christ. And you are complete in him. 
If you're a child of the king, you're complete in him. Oh, yes, I know it's a growth process because I'm still growing in it, in my walk with the Lord. But as far as God is concerned, you're a son of God or you're a daughter of God, and you're complete in him. Nothing else is lacking to be able to go to heaven. Oh, yes, he's working on us. He which began this good work in you will perfect it till the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. He's always at work in our lives. But, oh, can you rest in this fact that I don't have to do anything more that Jesus did at all and all to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He made me like him. Sin's gone, given a new nature. Wow. A new destiny, a new Lord and master. No longer in the dominion of sin, no longer under its power. Now I can walk with him and I can walk in victory. Man, we ought to be the most grateful people in the world. He is God's son and he made us complete in him. Every religion today has something to, has to do something with Jesus Christ. He can't be ignored, so people try to classify him. The Muslim will say, well, he was a great prophet, one of the greatest prophets sent by Mohammed. Um, you know, they're, I mean, sent by God, their God. And um, Judaism will say he's a false prophet, and he's led many a people, many a people astray from the true faith. Hindus will say something in this order. Jesus is reincarnated as the God Vishnu, and he could be a fish or a dwarf or a human or some other kind of creature, but he was made to preserve and sustain life and restore order to the universe. Agnostics or atheists will say, well, he was a good teacher, maybe to emulate or to follow after some of his uh, guidelines. Unbelievers, historically, look at Jesus as a, he was a good person, a good man, but he really has no importance for us today. Many non-Christians. They're not hostile. Yes, there are some that are, but many are not. They're not hostile towards Jesus. But Jesus is no more important than Abraham Lincoln, India's Gandhi, Martin Luther King, or George Washington Carver, or anybody you want to put in there. They're just not relevant today, many will say. Immature Christians may say, well, you know what? God's really cruel. He allows all this evil to exist in the world today. Some may say, well, you know what? I think this idea of Jesus is a good thing. I think I'll add that to the collection. You know, I don't play many of these video games, but there are some games where you keep adding these little things, to, and you add this one to your repertoire, and this and this, and you've got all these weapons or this you, massive stuff, whatever it is that they do, and they keep accumulating things, and, and people would like to add Jesus on you know, uh, put him on the bookshelf and I'd eat him, I'll, you know, pull him down and we'll, we'll talk together and I'll put him back on the bookshelf and we work, we're good, you know. There's a lot of people like that today. But Jesus would be vehemently opposed to such heretical teaching. He is not an add-on. He's the king. He's the sovereign one. He's the ruler of the universe. He spoke everything into existence. He knows every thought that you're thinking right now. I hope he's not, you're not thinking, boy, when, when this guy's going to be through. <laughs> he knows. He's not an add-on. You don't tack him on. 
You don't tell the king, you know, he, the king doesn't come with suggestions. He says today, I'm the king and I'm coming one day in splendor and glory. And I'm going to be riding on a white steed as a conqueror to claim my own. I'm coming again. Some of you still remember when George, I think it was George MacArthur said those famous words. I'm coming back to the Philippines. Jesus is coming back. You can count on it. D.C. Lewis was an expert on medieval history and literature. And he studied all of these, these facts about Jesus and all this, this, these documents. And he said, he boiled it down to this. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. If he's a liar, he, man, he, he's fooled the, so many people. Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. No one. There's no other remedy under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus the righteous one. So he's either a liar or maybe he's a lunatic. Maybe he's just nuts. Anybody could say that, that he's the only way to, you know, to anything. But if he's Lord, oh my, you cannot be indifferent to that. He's absolute king of the universe, not just another good teacher or a good person, but God became flesh, the second person of the Trinity. John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Wow. But he's not only Christ, the anointed one, God's only son, but thirdly, he is Lord. He's master of everything. In the Hebrew, Yahweh is translated into Greek as Lord. Since he's the supreme power, he becomes Lord and Savior of the entire world. Who can stop him? Could Rome stop him, even though they put him to death? No. Look what's happened across the world since that time. You're here today because of what happened. Can Russia stop him? Can China or Iran or, or, or sadly, even America? Can anyone stop him? From fulfilling his desire, his plan, he's coming again. He can rebuke the storms and cast out demons, and they listen. He spoke, and officials of the court were so amazed that they, they were stunned, and they walked away when they were supposed to apprehend him and bring him to the court, and they walked away perplexed and, and astounded by what they heard from Jesus because no one talked like him. And when the Jews came to confound him, they walked away. <laughs> he stumped them at every turn. Why? He's the eternal one. He's the beginning of knowledge is, is an understanding that God's in control of everything. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Why can we know that? But God, because the Alpha and Omega, he's the start and he's the finish. He knows everything in between. Isn't it wonderful to know that God knows all your, your situation that you're in and he has his hand on you? On. Listen to me. That he walks before you and he walks behind you and his hand rests on you. You're a child of the king. Know that God is there to protect you. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thought. God's in charge. He's not going to let you fall down and 
You may fall down, but the righteous what fall down, but they get up. Why? He's in charge and he's in control. Well, I'm not negating the fact that we do some dumb things, and Lord knows I've done some dumb ones. Do I got any converts out there? You have anybody? But my goodness, it doesn't leave us down there. Picks us up and helps us along the way. He was astounding and perplexing at the same time. At the appropriate time, he voluntarily surrendered to them when he was ready to go to the cross. Do you realize that the word Lord is used over 270 times in the New Testament? In Acts alone, Lord is used 92 times while calling him Savior only twice. What do you think the clear message of the early church was? The Lordship of Jesus. He's the boss. I like to call him the boss. I go to this gym and uh, I don't know why they, they do this, but the guy, I see him all the time. He's the He's the manager, and he always says to me, hey, boss, how you doing? I'm like, me, the boss? <laughs> boss. He's in charge. He calls the shots. He tells us what's going to happen. It was the heart of the Christian message. Acts 2.36 says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Boy, if you preach something like that to the church in many churches today, man, they say, well, what's wrong with you preaching like that? Boy, you're mad at the people. But your sins and my sins are what nailed him to the cross. Can we not say that he, this Savior whom you crucified, he died for us. He preached that to the Jewish people, and man, they were stricken in the heart, pierced their conscience. Thousands were saved that day at Pentecost. He's Lord. He's Lord over the universe. The Bible says that the winds and the waves obey him. You remember when he's sleeping in the boat, <laughs> the disciples said, Don't you, Can't you see we're perishing? And Jesus, all right, guys, knock it off. You've had your fun. And it went silent. Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But he had that kind of control. When demons confronted him, they were terrified of him. James tells us in the second chapter, says that the devil... The demons recognize Jesus and they tremble because every time they met him, he had the power to send them to the bottomless pit again. And they say, please don't send us before the appointed time. They recognized it. Sad that America can't recognize that today. Sometimes we fail to recognize that in our own lives. In his kingly domain, he used his power to be savior of our earth. He's the savior of the heavenly domain. But there's just some weird, strange thought process that people have today. He's my savior, but he's not my Lord. 
Some folks see God as a good fire insurance plan. Well, if I just tack God on, you know, I certainly don't want to go to hell, and I don't want to experience that eternal fire, and I don't want to spend that, the gnashing of teeth, and I know the wailing, and all that's going to go on. I think I'll just add him on. You know, and uh, now I feel pretty good because I got, I got my fire insurance plan. I'm, I'm good to go. What erroneous, naive thinking. Jesus has already come as the humble servant living among us. He always obeyed the Father. He hung on the cross to make redemption possible for his creation. Listen to John 3, 17. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know the rest of that portion in there says? The world was already condemned. He didn't come to condemn the world. It was already done so. He came to rescue the world. Have you been rescued from yourself? Are you like me? You finally come to the place that I'm my biggest problem. Now, I blame a lot of things on my wife. And we have a great game going on. And, you know, but you know, it's, it's going to be your fault. So just step up and take the blame now, you know. I'm sure some others have the same game that you play. The world was already condemned. But he came to save, to rescue the world. My. He voluntarily gave his life for your trash and your filth and your vulgarity. And he became your filth and trash and vulgarity in order to give you his righteousness. You talk about a great exchange. Think about that. We might, might I say, die for a good friend. I would like to think that I would. But for the average Joe Blow, for the guy I don't like, for a guy I detest, the Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. He puts his nature within us so that we become his ambassadors. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But 520 says we are his ambassadors. Oh. He puts his nature within us because help us to become his ambassadors around the world. Now, that's frightening, staggering. When every place I go, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. No matter where it is. He came that we might have, we might live, he might live through us to show the world a better road to travel. It's what the world needs. It's a shame sometimes I'm not. We just don't measure up. Isn't it a good thing that God's merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving? Listen, Jesus didn't come to build walls around the church, but to break down barriers surrounding the kingdom. How? He got involved with the brokenhearted, with those crushed by society, the despised, the defiled, the outcast. We reach out. We don't run from. Sometimes we say, well, they're just not like me. They don't talk like me, and they don't dress like me, and they don't smell like me. And Guess what? When Jesus came, none of us measured up to him. None of us looked like him. None of us thought like him. None of us acted like him. And he came looking for us. 
Our job is to go looking for others. And they're all around us. All around us. We take risks for the glory of God. We get involved in lives, in the, the dirty and the nitty-gritty of lives. We've have a, we have a message for the nation. We have good news. We must be engaged, not aloof. The world offers us wisdom by saying, well, you can do penance to God. I, I, I have a friend, I have a couple of friends, and they feel like if long as they can get to church a couple of times a month and make their confession, they're good. They're good. They don't want to wait too long because the sins may get too hit too deep, you know. But if they can go about it every other week, they're good. Now, while we may laugh at that, Baptists have their own little ways of, well, if I go this, if I do this much, you know, and we try to weigh it out. You ever talk to people about and ask them, do you know for sure if you're going to go to heaven? They go, and someone said, well, yeah, I think so. Well, it's wonderful. Why? Why are you going to go to heaven? Well, you know, I, I try to do this and I do that and I do this and I try to stay away from this and try to stay away. In other words, they say, if my good outweighs my bad, God's going to say, oh, yeah, Joe, come on up. Good to see you, buddy. Been waiting for you. Is that the message of the gospel? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, if you do it on what I do and what I don't do, then it's all works and I get the credit. And we stand before him, none of us are going to get the credit because none of us could earn salvation. It's a gift. Here's another problem. We compare ourselves with one another and sometimes with ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're without understanding. The plumb line has to be Christ. Why? If I compare myself to this person, in my mind, I may think that I'm better than that person. Well, I do this, this, and this, and I know they don't do any of that, so I must be doing better than they are. Well, I know I don't measure up to that person because they do this and do it. So I'm safely in the middle somewhere. <laughs> there, there's lots of people who think that. The plumb line is Christ. But listen, God's not waiting for you to mess up. He's not waiting to crush you down or to humiliate you for your mistakes. You can be astonished and elated in the fact that God radiates his love and his grace and mercy toward you. That's why he came. The world was already condemned. He came to bring it life. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, the law, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's all of our sins, all of our transgressions. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. All that stuff, he canceled it out when he died on the cross for you and me. Listen to me. He hasn't changed his mind about you. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 5, 8. 
What's our response to this today as we get ready to close? Our response is this. If you're a child of God, absolute gratefulness to him. He came looking for you. You didn't go looking for him, by the way. <laughs> I was running. When I was a youngster, I got tired of listening to my mom and dad because we, like my son, we had a drug problem. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday, Wednesday night, you know, and go to this meeting on Thursday night and meet an association meeting on Saturday and they drug us all over the place. So I know all about that. But gratefulness him to him. Salvation didn't come by anything that we did on our part. But we don't make him Lord. We freely submit to his lordship. Listen, he's Lord whether we, you like it or not. He just is. Now, whether I'm intelligent enough to know it or not, that's another matter. He just is. But the question is, is he Lord of your life? That's the question he needs to answer, and I need to answer. Submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Women, what would you think of the man who says, you know, I really want to be your lover, but when, when the deal, but think about children, you know, then I, I don't want no part of that. Or what do you think of the man who says, you know, I'm going to love you and support you, but if you get really sick or you get a disease, I'm leaving. It's a good thing that God doesn't run out on us, amen? The Bible says when we are faithless, he remains faithful. I've been faithless at times. You join me there? My faith got really weak at times. Praise God he didn't leave me. What kind of Christian would I be if when times got tough, I ran away from my problems? How many know you can't run away from your problems? <laughs> you just take them with you. Here's what I've learned. Acknowledge the enemy because he's powerful, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Our final response to him in judgment is that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, whether that's a believer or a non-believer, one day every knee will bow, whether they like it or not. And they can say what they want today, but then standing before the king, I guarantee you it'll be a different story. Even though you ever watch some of those... Uh, Boxing matches, and they get these two guys together, and they're talking trash, and well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Especially that SmackDown stuff they do on TV. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to do this and that. We stand before King Jesus; he'll be doing the talking. So, what's our final response to him? Every knee shall confess. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. Christ is sovereign. He's limitless. 
He's the anointed one. He's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God's only son, and he is Lord. Conclusion, the king is coming one of these days. When that happens, I know not. But is he your Lord and Savior? Would you let him have his way in your life? You may have tried to make things better on your own. That's a losing proposition, isn't it? Try to make yourself better and you find out how hard it really is, how impossible it is. If we could have the power to change ourselves, we'd have done it already. We don't. But Christ wants to rule and reign in our lives. And I say, if you're not a Christian today, be reconciled to him. Repent and turn to him. Listen, if you're going to read... Today, people try the latest fads and they're all over the place or people follow other people and they get how many checks or whatever they do on the internet. You know, I got this many followers or I got three million this, two million, I don't know, all that stuff. Does that really matter in the long run? The Bible says repent, turn to him. He's the one that can help you. Secondly, submit to him since he's Lord anyway. God doesn't make any distinction between Lord and Savior. To teach dual citizenship is poor teaching. I know that nobody's perfect. We're all on a a growth process. But don't quit in the middle of of the battle. And whatever you do, don't compare yourself to somebody else. That's a horrible thing. Because you'll always find this. There's some, some you consider to be better than and some you consider to be worse than. And you'll conveniently find yourself somewhere in the middle. Or maybe you find yourself a little bit closer on the upper echelon. But when you compare yourself to sinful people, and all sinful people without Christ go to hell. Why would you compare yourself with people that are sin-stricken? Compare yourself to the one who loves you. At the very least today, ask God to give you a desire to desire him. You ever come to the place where you know you need to do something, but you just don't have the desire to do it? I know I need to do that, but I just don't want to. You been there? Ask God to give you the desire to desire him. The least you can do. Then find an accountability partner that will help you. I mean, somebody that loves you and cares about you. Best thing you can do for your Christian growth, or one of the best things, is ask someone weekly to hold you accountable. Ask them, tell them about your life. Tell them what's going on. And they can pray with you. I had a number of people coming to me this week. Bless me. They said, I just want to pray for you. I know you're preaching this week. I want to pray for you. I said, I need it. Pray for me. Yeah. Fourthly, grow in open-handed generosity. Push back darkness. Reach out to the disenfranchised. Be open to God's leading. Be open to it. Fifthly, get involved in an ongoing Bible study. 
get into the Word of God. Nothing changes you like the Word of God. Nothing. And then ask God, the anointing one, the Messiah, God's Son, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Ask Him, the one who's the champion of the universe, ask Him for divine appointments. Do you know what I mean by that? Ask God to bring into your life people that need to know about Jesus. I mean, here is someone who loves Jesus. Here's somebody who needs Jesus. Why can't the two be brought together? Ask God to give you divine appointments so that during the week you're saying, Lord, I'm open. So when the appointment comes, you're ready. And you won't say, as I've said many times as I'm driving out of the parking lot, boy, that would have been a good time to witness to that person. Be open to his leadership. Ask him. People need the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Prayer members and counselors, if you'll come to the front. We're going to stand in just a moment. But Father, we're here today and we ask that you do a work in our life. We thank you for the work that you've already done to bring us to the point where we are. We're grateful indeed. But oh Lord, (laughs) we have so much further to go. So we ask that you lead us. I ask for the person here today, Lord, that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. That oh Lord, you would open their eyes, take the blinders off, that they can come to you and rejoice in the fact that you will receive them like they are and change them from the inside out. I pray for the person today going through a difficult time. Just things aren't going the way they want it to go. And Lord, that you'd be Lord of their lives. And Lord, thank you for tenderly working, helping us work through problems in our lives and frustrations and things that just don't seem to go away. And we pray and we pray and they still don't go away. And we wonder when they change. Help us not to give up. Help us to continue praying. Help us to continue yielding. And Father, teach us about what it means to walk into this world with our eyes open, looking for opportunities to be your ambassador. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.